You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, this morning, I want to speak to all of the professional warriors out there, and I believe I can out-worry any of you. If you're a worrier like me, I'd wonder what are things that you love to worry about. I have worried, as you might have, about your home, the safety of your children. Some children cause more worry than others. Providing for those you love, constantly worried about that. I even find myself having so many things to do Come the next day, maybe Monday, I don't sleep the night before because I'm worried about everything I'm going to get done and then I wake up tired and need a nap. But worrying is something we will never escape. Maybe until Jesus comes back, maybe then finally you and I will be able to stop worrying. But the good news is if you're a worrier, you are not alone. Found some great thoughts on worry. Thought I'd share with you a few of these this morning. 1900s humorous and writer Don Harrell thinking about worry. He says, If I had my life to do over, I would perhaps have more actual problems, but I have fewer imaginary ones. And I'm that way. I mean, I create things to worry about. Mark Twain, the great author, said, Drag your thoughts away from your troubles. Grab them by the ears, the heels, any way you can manage it. Elbert Hubbard, an author in the late 1800s, so see, they even worried back then. He says, the greatest mistake you can make in your life is to continually fearing that you're going to make one. Haven't you ever been that way? You're, you're so worried, you're almost paralyzed, that you can't even make a decision because you're afraid of making a bad one. Now, I found an unknown author. I don't know if someone didn't want credit for this one. It says, troubles are a lot like people. They grow bigger if you nurse them. And I found that way, you worry about something, you keep worrying, it just gets bigger and bigger. And then Charlie Brown says, I've developed a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. Probably something good. And then reading the last couple of weeks and some great commentaries of wise men, the William Palmer says, how many millions go to sleep, but we wake up as atheists. That is, we go to bed wake up in our worries as if God does not exist. And then I thought I worried a lot. And then God gave me children. And then I found there, and there's a whole new set of things to worry about. And if you're a new parent, man, you're worrying like, are they growing like they should? And then I believed our pediatricians do this just to watch us squirm. They created this graft. And it looks like this little bell curve, and they, they plot your kids. As if we don't have enough to worry about. They're gonna, but my kids are always way over here. They're, always, they're short, they're always they're little underway, and we're always way down here. So something else that we worry about, and we worry about are they meeting all their milestones. You know, are they walking, crawling, turning over like they should? And I thought, man, if they'd finally just walk, then I could quit worrying about that. And then it was like every time I heard the toilet flush, it's like, all right, where's the kids? You know, because something I know is going down the toilet. But, you know, they get older. We worry about the friends they're going to choose. Safety as they start driving and purity in the relationships. And they get older and you worry about their jobs they'll have. And the list just continues to go on and on of things we worry about. And so this morning, 
I want to talk to all of us that love to worry, that we just need to worry. And I want us to go to Psalm 127. So if you have your Bibles or your device, turn to Psalm 127. It's only five verses. And this is a psalm of ascent, probably, most likely, written by Solomon. And it's broken up into two sections. So if you like to make notes or uh, draw in your Bibles, the, the first two verses are one major thought. And then the last three verses are a different thought. But he is going to connect these two by a strange connection. So verses 1 and 2 uh, is going to talk about some everyday activities, things we are all familiar with. Things that are very common even to us today. And the great news is that no matter where you are, if you really have children or to your empty nesting, that there is something for us all today. And these truths we'll see about these activities are relevant for people in all times and in all culture. So here's what Solomon's going to do. He's going to drive home the point with three different activities. He's going to talk about building a house and that could be providing shelter. He's going to talk about watching over a city. And uh, you could probably relate that mostly to protecting those that you love. And then lastly, he'll talk about rising up early and going to bed late. He's going to talk about getting up early and working long hours to provide for your family. And so he's going to talk about these three very common activities. Uh, then in the next section, we're going to talk for a little bit about children and He's going to talk about children being a heritage, and he's even going to describe them as arrows. But we'll notice, if you're there, I'll even show you in verse 2, he's going to connect it by one of my favorite activities, and that's sleep. And when I can find sleep, when I can get it, when I'm not worrying, I really enjoy it. But I know I'm not always, typically I'm never the smartest guy in the room, but I'm going, Solomon, building a house and watching over a city and getting up early and going to bed late and children, if the thing that these do not have, they do have in common is these are not things that help us rest. These are not things that in, help us to sleep. But Solomon is going to connect these two. So he's going to have two claims today, two sections, two major claims. Here's the first one. Without dependence on the Lord, our lives are worthless, ineffective, and they'll be restless. So let's look, verse 1 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So the first activity, building a home. Probably very common for Solomon to look out over his kingdom, see things being built, people building businesses, building homes. But he could also mean a person going about the activities of building a house, meaning a household, children, or building a name for yourself, a legacy. But either way, this is Solomon's point. He said, if you're building, unless the Lord is behind your building, your work will be absolutely worthless. It'll never last, and it'll have no real value. In fact, he says, you know what? You could hire the best architect. You could hire the best and get the best materials, and you could put in the latest stainless steel appliances and the best granite, granite countertops and everything you wanted. But unless the Lord builds it, all of your hard work is absolutely worthless. And he says, sometimes we're a little slow. Let me give you another point. In verse 1, he says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
So Solomon's using, he's pulling upon a, a very common activity. He would look at over his kingdom and he's constantly concerned. He's constantly worried about protecting those in his, his kingdom and people coming to attack, to take what is theirs. But Solomon says, unless the Lord is behind your watching, it'll be absolutely ineffective. In fact, he says, you know what? You could have the most state-of-the-art surveillance equipment, the best watchtowers the world has ever seen. You could have the most well-trained watchmen that need only a few hours of sleep a day. But unless the Lord watches over your city, your efforts will be absolutely ineffective. So then he says, if you don't understand where I'm going yet, let me give you a third example. Look at verse 2. <clears throat> it says, if it is in vain that you rise early, but you go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil. So he's talking about people working hard to provide for those they love, provide food for them. So he's once again saying, unless the Lord provides, you work, you could work from sunup until sundown, but if the Lord is not behind providing, he says it'll never be enough. So three different illustrations, but he's making the same point. But I want to make sure we understand that Solomon is not saying, he's not promoting laziness. In fact, he's not, he's not saying, you know, listen, don't worry. You know, if you're going to have a house, God will just give you that. He's not even saying, you know what, don't worry about protecting your kids. You know what, they'll eventually learn how to cross the street on their own. You know, they'll only take once. Uh, he's not even saying, you know, don't, don't, you know, sleep late in the day, work when you feel like it, take a nap, go home early, and God will just provide for you. He's not saying that at all. In fact, I think Solomon is saying just the opposite. He's saying work hard to build a home, provide shelter for your family. He's saying work hard to protect them. He's even saying work hard if you need to get up early and you need to stay late to provide for your family, do those things. But his point is that do all of that, but apart from the Lord, apart from actively depending on Him, apart from trust in the Lord, you can do all of those things. But they will be pointless, worthless, ineffective, and you will be completely restless. So he's driving the home point in three different illustrations that dependence on our Lord. We have to have that. Without it, our lives are worthless, ineffective, and it's absolutely restless. And then he says, in the end of verse 2, he gives us this connecting thing. For he gives to his beloved sleep. But I want to move past it. I want to go to his second um, section, and then we'll come back and see how is he going to connect these two. So let's move on to the second section, beginning in verse 3 through verse 5. And this is how it reads. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. So in these three verses, there are five truths that he brings out about children. So here's one of them. Solomon says, he makes the, the statement that children are a heritage from the Lord, meaning children are a blessing. They, they are a gift. And 
most parents probably agree with that most of the time. And we might question it from time to time that they're actually gifts and blessings. But he says the truth is they are a heritage. They're a blessing. They're a gift to you. And then Solomon says, second, that children uh, describes them as fruit of the womb. And I, my mind's a little weird. I, I know that. And I thought there is... There's got to be. That is where the company that made underwear came from. Somebody read the Bible. Here's a great name. And listen, I got on Wikipedia. And no, it doesn't, it's not true. They are not related at all. But I thought, man, there cannot be, that has, there cannot be a coincidence. But he's saying that children are a fruit. They're a blessing. They come from us. And he blesses families with children. They are a reward from within us. The third truth, he describes these children as arrows. The children are entrusted. They're given to parents. And one day, we are to launch them into the world. I love our, our pastor, Ross Strader, one of my best friends. I'll never forget one day he said, our children are created to live forever. And I thought, I never thought of that before. But yes, they are created to live forever. And then he said that God has given us, chosen us to be the ones to set them on that trajectory. That we're given the first 18 years of their eternity. They are entrusted to us. And we mold them. We shape them. We love them. We teach them. And then we launch them into the world. And then the fourth truth. He says, Solomon says, that they are, it is a, a quiver full, is a blessing. Now it doesn't mean that if you only have one or two children that, that you're not blessed. In fact, I know some children that are quiver full all by themselves. And I was one of those. It's a wonder my parents had any more children because I was a quiver full, just me, all by myself. But he's saying that children, that, that whether you have one or whether you have six or whatever it might be, that they are a blessing. They are given to you and you are to carry them with you. They are with you for a time and you're to love, you're to teach. But I know sometimes children can be difficult. They can be a quiver full. And at times they take turns and sometimes it's all of them. But sometimes they can. So I, I know I talk to parents and I am one and at times, man, I think we can get so discouraged when it seems like certain children that traditional parenting just doesn't work. And why is this child you know, not doing what they need to do when everybody else follows in line? But if you've got a child that's a quiver full, let me encourage you by the words of Derek Keidner. He says, the greater their promise the more likely these sons will be a handful before they're a quiver full. You know, sometimes God is doing something when they're young, that when they're older, they will finally realize that's why they were such a trouble. Now, they're a blessing in so many different ways. But then he says, the fifth truth is that Solomon says that a man will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. I know it's a little foreign to us, but what would happen if you or your neighbor, maybe somebody had a quarrel or a trouble was happening, they would go to the city gates, the leaders would be there, and you would make your case, and then they would decide on who was right and who was wrong, who needed to pay for, for whatever the offense might have been. But he's saying that when you have children, that you will not be put to shame when he speaks with these enemies at the gate. Now I think the picture is this, that no one knows you better than your children. They get a, a front row seat to your life. And we need to be living our lives in a way that if we were ever brought to the gates, 
and someone brought an accusation against us, against our character, that our children would be able to come to our defense and say, no, let me tell you, I've known him for the last 15 years. And there's no way that, that he would ever do that. That they're vouching for their character because they have a front row seat to our lives. This morning, I want to look back at verse 3 and draw a couple of things about this, the second section about parenting. It says that children are a heritage from the Lord. You know, parenting's hard work. You'll never be able to count all the hours. In fact, you could never add up all the dollar value amount on your parenting. You never get to clock out. Even if you try to take a nap, they're not going to let you. You know, for some reason, God has not seen fit to give us hazard or overtime pay. Parenting is hard work. And oftentimes, we rarely feel qualified. But God has handpicked every parent and grandparent in this room to parent certain children. He's handpicked us for this. Parenting often feels like an impossible task. And the stakes, it seems, every year get higher and higher. But I believe every parent, every grandparent is worried about one question. Whether your children are two years old, or they're 22, or they're grown with children, we worry, did I do a good enough job? Now, I think that's a question every parent struggles with. But that phrase, children are a heritage, I think is important for us today. Because this word heritage can be translated gift. That children are a gift from the Lord. And we can distort this reality. But here's what I want us to remember. Here's what I think you could sum up verses 3 through 5. Children are not your achievement, but God's gifts. Children are not your achievement, but God's gift. Because we have to be careful, because we can begin to see children as our achievement. And here's what happens when this begins. When we see our children as our achievement, what we're really doing is we're taking and we're attaching our identity and our value to our children. We see this every single day, at least I do in my own life. When my children act poorly, when they're disrespectful to others, when they don't perform well, I take it personal because I've attached my value and I want people to notice and I want people to think highly of me. And when my children don't live up to that expectation, I take it personally. Because I believe that's a true reflection. That's my identity and how well they do. But the opposite's also true. When they act well, when they show respect and they use their manners, when they succeed, man, I can look at that as a personal achievement and say, man, look how, man, look how great I really am. But children are not our achievement. Let me show you where I think we can most likely see this. Think about you, where you are. And I did this, I did some self-examining. Think about what you prize or what you pride about yourself the most. The thing that you want to be most noticed for, the thing that you are most proud of, of yourself. Maybe it's you really want to be known is someone that is just always friendly. Someone that's always great to be around. People want to be around you. Maybe it's being a good manager of your money. I mean, that's what you prize. You've done a good job. and I mean, you want to be noticed for that. You take a lot of pride in that. Maybe it's being organized. It could even be staying in 
good shape, the, the things you want to be noticed for, the things you prize about yourself. Whatever you are most proud of in yourself, and listen, this is so true about me, is usually where you'll feel the most frustration when your child is not. Listen, I've, I've been, I've prized myself on, you know, I, I want to be someone that's thought of every detail, very organized, and I find myself, when my children are not, that is when I'm most frustrated. When they don't live up to what I prize about myself the most. And we will often feel most frustrated when they don't succeed in what you prize about yourself the most. And the reason is that we see our children as our achievement. But the good news is that uh, I think oftentimes this is really God's grace in our life. Because I think when those moments happen, God is really showing me what area still needs to be fully surrendered to Him. But children are not our achievement. And our value and our significance could not come, and it should not come from them. It needs to be in the one, the only one that could live the life that your children and my children can never live. And it needs to be in the one that actually died the death that our children deserve. So parents, grandparents, hear me. Your acceptance before God is not based on how well you parent. Your acceptance before God is not based on how well your children turn out. They are not our achievement, but they are God's gifts to us. But secondly, I think we can take these gifts and we can begin worshiping the gifts over the giver. And what happens is, is that because we love our children so much we can begin to move them to the center of our lives. And without even realizing it, we begin worshiping them. And not only are we in danger of worshiping our children, we can often focus too much on the wrong things that we're bringing the most attention to. You know, in the long run, I'm convinced, it doesn't matter how great of a soccer star your child is. It doesn't matter if they're the most advanced gymnastics champ. It really doesn't matter in the end if your child was the best pianist in their third grade. When we focus too much on output, we are sending the wrong message. We need to show our children that it is more important to be good for something. First, Jesus Christ. Then it's to be good at something. Because listen, my, and maybe I'm wrong. I, I can be a horrible parent in this, but I've always taught my children. You know what? Man, you strive and you give your best. But there'll probably always be someone that's faster. There'll always be someone that's smarter. There'll always be somebody that achieves more. And that's okay. Because so much life is not based on what you accomplish with what you do. You need to be good for something. And we want them to be good for Jesus Christ and what He has done rather than just being good at something. Because you know what? You're going to get old and things are going to ache and you won't be able to do all those things that you once did. And if your identity and everything is wrapped up into that, then we're setting them up for failure. But children are not our achievement, but God's gifts. And we're to be the stewards of these precious and wonderful gifts, not their owner. So let's do this. Let's look back at that little connecting activity. What does... Building and protecting and providing for them financially with food. How, how does that connect with children? And how can sleep 
be the connecting thing. So look back at verse 2, the second part of that. For it says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now why does he connect these two thoughts with sleep? Because we know that building and watching and working and raising children are often not filled with sleep. So why sleep? What is the connection? Well, this phrase, if you're reading in most translations, says, For he gives to his beloved, those he loves, he gives rest or he gives sleep. And we know that is true. But it can also be translated, if you have an NASB, it reads, For he gives to his beloved in his Sleep. So once again, why sleep? The average, the average adult, we probably sleep, I don't know what, six to eight hours a night. They say we'll sleep a third of our lives away. God could have made us even without sleep. And think of all the things we could accomplish if we didn't have to go to bed at night. But God is doing something. He is reminding us. And He is taking us back. Solomon is taking us back to the thought that we as adults, we are children. We are so frail and we are so fragile that we have to become helpless and unconscious and blind and weak every day in order to even live at all. That every day, God takes you and me to a place where we are totally vulnerable and not in control. And He has to do that. He does that every single day. In order for you just to live, you have to go to that place every single day. And God is reminding us how dependent we should be on Him. We should depend on God in our building, in our protecting, in our providing, and especially in our parenting. And in fact, if there's any part of our lives that show how dependent we are, it's when we're asleep. When you don't even know what's going on, when you're not even aware of even being alive. And at that very moment, in that condition of being vulnerable and completely out of control, do you know what God's doing? He's building. He's protecting. He's providing. And He's even caring for your children. When you're completely out of control. But we see from the fall, even in Adam and Eve, all the way to today, that we want to do everything ourselves. We have a hard time trusting and depending and resting that God can actually build, protect, provide, and even care for our children better than we do. The psalmist is reminding us, he's making it clear that our building, our protecting, even our work are absolutely pointless. It's ineffective and it will be fruitless without God's blessing, without us depending on Him. But here's the problem I think we all share. We can't even, we are so frail, we are so fragile, we can't even depend on God unless we depend on Him to help us depend on Him. And so what we have to do, naturally, it doesn't come natural to us. We have to seek God and we have to ask Him, Lord, you're going to have to help me to depend on you because I can't even do that on my own. So what does it look like? What does it look like to have this kind of active dependence? What does it look like to see our children as gifts and not our achievement? Well, I, there's probably thousands of ways. And I'm thankful I don't have to look far because I can look around any of you. Over our time here at Bethel, I've watched some families. Same family, raising children in the same home, sharing the same DNA, growing up doing the same things. 
And one child chooses the path that it just seems like bliss. And everybody looks at them and, man, how great they're doing. Look how wonderful they're turning out. Man, look at how well they are doing. But then another child chooses a totally different path. And you wonder, how does that happen? How do children that grow up in the same home, under the same nurture, the same care, the same experience, how does one choose one path and one choose another? And I tell you, I watch those families. I've watched them love those children that were choosing the wonderful path of blessing, but even love those who were choosing a path of heartache and pain. And they prayed for them without ceasing. And instead of running from others in shame, do you know what they did? They reached out. They became vulnerable and said, would you pray with us for this child? And man, I can even look back and I can see some that God has brought back that they are now following Him. So some of you may be sitting right here today and you're facing some very painful things with your children in the decisions that they are making. And that's real. The Scripture tells us, you know what? They're not your achievement. They're your gifts to love and to teach and to care for, but they're not your achievement. I've even watched parents that I have tried to learn from that have allowed their children to fail. And man, my tendency, and probably yours at times, is just to swoop in and to rescue them and make sure they turn in that paper and make sure they follow through on this or that. But I've learned from some parents, they say, you know what? Sometimes you need to let your, parent, your children experience some failure now before the consequences get much worse. Allow them to fail from time to time so that they can learn from that. But for us, it's hard. It's hard to trust that God would allow them to be in that situation and actually use that failure to teach them. And then in my own life, and I had nothing to do with this. But our children, we were thinking about, do we put Kylie back into public school? We'd been homeschooling her for about three years. And I remember we were praying about it, and we kind of felt God leading us back to public school. And this is not a debate on public school, private school, homeschool. That is for you and God to decide. But I remember my wife came to me and said, Mark, do you remember the baby dedication we did for Kylie out in the, the foyer out here? I said, yeah, I remember that. She said, do you remember the verse we picked for Kylie? And I said, yeah, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on your own understandings and in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. I said, I remember that. But she said, remember the little refrigerator reminder you made that we put a phrase on there? I said, no, I don't. Well, she pulled it out. And on there it said, we want her, we desire for her to trust in the Lord no matter what. And men, homeschooling would have been the easiest and the most comfortable thing for us to do. My wife said, you know, I feel the Lord leading us to go back into the public school. And if we want her to learn to trust, we are going to have to trust the Lord in this ourselves. And listen, it's been a painful road at times. There's been heartache and broken relationships and the friends and all those things that go on. Many tears have been shed. But we have seen God building trust in that. So this is what Solomon says. He says, to build with all the strength that you have. Watch as carefully as you can. Work hard to provide to the very best of your ability. And look at your children. See them as God's gifts, not your achievements. And we do that totally depending on God for the results. So you build, you watch, and you work hard to provide and you love those gifts, and you teach them the very best that you can. 
But the results are not up to you. So parents and grandparents, I want to leave you with this. Rest, sleep, trusting that God has hand-picked you to be the parents of your children. Never question that. And regardless of what social media might say, there are no perfect parents and no perfect children. If there were, we would have no need for Jesus. And your children were created to live for an eternity. And God has given you the first 18 years to set them on the trajectory toward Him so that you can launch them into the world. And lastly, you're not called to be successful in your parenting. That's God's job. You're called to be faithful. And you leave the results up to Him. Because here's the truth. Because God can do more for you when you're asleep, than you could ever do on your own without Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning on this warm summer day. And I want to say thank You, Lord. Thank You that You know exactly where every parent and grandparent is today. You know exactly where every single person, every young married without children, You know where we are. And you know exactly what every one of us sitting here today is struggling with. And the beauty of it all is that you know exactly what each and every one of us need and you know how to give it perfectly. And so this morning I want to ask on all of our behalf that we come before you with our hands open, Lord. We ask to receive out of the fullness of Christ the ability to be able to depend on you when we work, when we build and when we watch, and that we would see our children as gifts, not our achievements. And that we would do all of this depending, trusting, and resting in the name of your Son, in the power of the Spirit, we say, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.